Hello again, and welcome to Killing the Great White Male with me, Royce Tevis Towns. Today we're continuing our shared experience with Lauren Carlson about Peggy Ornstein's book, Boys and Sex. A reminder that this content, this particular book, has a lot of stuff that people consider to be major triggers, especially as Lauren and I dive into some of the the challenges around sexual assault, consent, and rape. Last time we left off talking about variety, especially when it comes to how we view ourselves, how we view sexual experiences, and moving away from black and white thinking about the notion of monsters and innocence. So, let's dive back in. Right. So, years ago, I had a conversation with... um... It was actually a it was actually a family member of my husband, so not someone that I um, am am super open with. I guess uh, I mean we're close, but we're not best friends. Uh, yeah. She's she's uh, uh, well an older generation than me, so we we do know each other and we're related, but by marriage. And um, and I said something. This was right around when. Um, Brett Kavanaugh was being, um, you know, all of those hearings and everything. And I watched that religiously, I would say. I I am uh, a victim of rape, and um, it has taken me years and years to be able to say that without crying or thinking that I have to tell everyone the details so that then they know that it wasn't my fault. So uh, there's a lot. Uh, But those, um, those trials, those hearings really affected me in a, in a way that I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. because I had pushed it all down for 11 years. And, um, Mm -hmm. but I had a, I had this conversation with, um, so a family member of my husband's and she said, you know, if we start, Um, if men start remembering everything they did, we're going to have a lot of 50 year olds who, who believe they've raped someone. And, and I, I, I don't know if she said it in like, let's just leave it in the past or, or, uh, I, I, I don't know what she We didn't elaborate, but what it did for me was it really inspired me to say, this is not extraordinary by any means. No, it's not. People, people have done this to their secretaries and to their, uh, a girl at the bar. And, and I only say boys because statistically, but this is, I, I, I am very, aware that this is not a, a, um, a male problem. This is just people. But, um, but if you, you know, interviewed anyone in, in a hundred person company, you'd find 75 of them who really, if they were honest, who have, who did something in college that they're not proud of, or who, um, who woke up to something and they couldn't remember it. And that is really, truly what inspired me when I was looking for a way to make sense of what happened to me. And I hate the term to say that I'm going to make good out of it because that can really just, that can 
let's put that one to rest. That's the, <laughs> but, there's no silver but, lining here or anything no, like but, that. There's a human being what, who's going to exercise her re resilience. Right. So what I did, what I have said though, was I will use it for yeah. good. So yeah. that is how, that's a different, it's, it's very slight difference, but I am not making good out of what happened to me, but I am using what I know to do good. And that's and not that's to condemn I, people who don't. No. To oh, be real 100%. Clear. Yeah. I, I am very aware that I believe that I am strong enough to say what I have been through and that it can help people. And, and if other people do not find joy in that and do not find healing in that, then don't ever do it because yeah. I don't, uh, there is no proper way to, to deal with assault. There is no proper way to respond or, or um, heal. This is simply my way because yeah. I am very outspoken. I am very, um, I have no problem with people looking at me and questioning, uh, you know, and so this is my journey for my healing. But this conversation, I found she was right. It, if we wanted to talk with six, 50 year olds and 60 year old white men, hmm. how many of them had done something that where they don't even remember? Yeah. But how many of them have done it? And I in my head said, all right, that generation, I'm not going to I'm not going to fix those. But what I can do is fix children is I, I say fix uh, very loosely because what <laughs> I mean is what I mean is I am teaching parents how they can talk in a different way to the next generation. I will never stop 22 year old boys from making very poor decisions, but what I can or 22 do year old girls or oh, exactly. 22 oh, year old <laughs> non-gendered folks. Like, let's be clear. So, yeah. <laughs> We're all so doing stupid I, things. <laughs> when I say 22 year old boys, what I, what I am saying is, is my rapist. Yeah. I cannot stop him. I couldn't stop him that night. Yeah. I cannot stop the next one. When I say that it is purely me, I cannot stop what happened to me, but I can teach children better. And so that is what I have taken from that. We will never undo all of the wrongs that have been done, but we can teach the next generation how to say no and how to hear it when other people are saying no. And that that I remember that conversation and thinking, wow, it felt so hopeless at the, at the time thinking everyone has done this. And I'm thinking, how can I ever fix it? You know, cause that's yeah. what I wanted. I wanted to fix it. And that's, but, but, and it, and it might've taken me a year to realize all of those things have happened and all of those things might continue to happen. And all I can do is talk to a four-year-old about boundaries and maybe maybe we could stop some of it it's that starfish story right 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 the kid walking along the beach tossing the starfish back into the ocean right and somebody you know how can how are you ever going to make a difference how is it ever going to matter and the kid right. holds up the one in their hand and says it matters to this one right and and i also part of what i love about the work that you do is that I know for me as a parent, part of healing my trauma around this stuff was 
in the teaching of my children. And so I, I want to say, I, I think it's, it's bigger than what you're giving yourself credit for. I think the work that you're doing is also healing those of us. I, I mean, I'm 46. I'm, I'm not quite <laughs> of, of that generation, but it, I'm, I'm close enough that, um, yeah, I, I like, I'm there and I get it. Um, I, I know that there were boys in my generation who, who didn't grow up with these, the issues that I, uh, both received and, uh, inflicted. Um, but a lot of us did. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think if we're looking for ways to heal, uh, when I talk about killing the great white male, part of the reason I need him dead is because I need to heal from the wounds of wearing that mask of cutting right. myself down to fit inside it. Um, and, and it's exactly on points like this. I had, I had to do something different with my kids and I didn't always get it right. I fucked it up so many times. I, I can't even begin to articulate. Um, uh, and, uh, the process of, trying to parent better was also very healing, even as it hurt like hell. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, thank God for therapy. Um, <laughs> I gotta say that. And, and I think it's one of the things that I appreciated in, 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 in the book, this isn't just a, a white guy problem. It isn't just a guy problem. It isn't. So one of the challenges I think of our normative culture is, um, is that we, because we have decided that the white male is the pinnacle of humanity, and we've said everyone need to be white male, I mean, it's one of the common critiques of the feminist movement of the 70s, uh, or 60s and 70s, was very much that it was a white women's movement. Um, right. Because white women, all they had to do to become what was right, the white male, was put on pants. And so they did. And right. And some of the most problematic behaviors today are actually perpetuated by women who learned feminism in that generation who believed that all they had to do was dominate others in order to be an empowered human. Um, right. And the same can be said of the civil rights movement of the 60s because all black men had to do was become powerful like white men. Um, and, and black feminism critiques both of these movements very, very seriously because of those right. problem because it says the real problem is this structure that says this is the way to be. Um, in conversations with my editor um, working, one of my editors working on my book, who's a Jamaican gentleman, um, he was like, shit, man, this book isn't just for, for white men. <laughs> he was, it's like, right. huh, I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine and, and asking, like, how do we, why do we do this? Um, and it's the challenge that when we hold this up as the way to be, it's not just white men who are told you're supposed to be this. It's, it's white women. It's black women. It's Asian men. It's, uh, uh, it's trans folks. It, all of us are told this is who we're supposed to be. And so we try to be it. And, in her in the book when she actually looks at at the variety of experiences she ends up teasing out what we're supposed to be um very clearly in in her chapter heads you lose tails i win i guess there's there's a bunch of that but like right. how these black men and it, it, it end up being like well i'm looking at the bit here the coolest guy in the room on page 138 because this is who he's supposed to be He's been exceptionalized. He's a model minority. He's perfect at all these things. Oh, and he's supposed to be hypersexually aggressive. So white women right. are throwing themselves at him because he's at a at a college where he's the only black guy, uh, not the only, but pretty damn close to it. Right. Um. So like 
just crazy shit. How does this set us up? And how is he's being told he has to be this um, or some variety of this? So, so all of this, I also feel like, I feel like I'm dancing around the bush, beating around the bush here because the section that just tore my heart out was actually a better man. The, the end ending of this book um, around a story of a gentleman by the name of Samir and um, uh, Onwen. Um, just these two, two people who, um, had a, a, a deformative experience that I, I would place toward the rape end of the, of the, uh, of the spectrum. Um, right. But I, but I really, yeah, say more. That it, right. I, I really appreciate that it wasn't a rape of, um, oh, I try to tell people rape is not, rape is no longer in the back alley with ripped clothing. Oh yeah. Uh, and so I find that it's amazing that we're even calling this um, on the rape spectrum, which, which um, for this female, she finds very much not, yes. on, you know, way, way on the end of, of the spectrum. And so I this think was it's rape. amazing. I mean, I would call right. it rape. I guess I would, right. I would say. Right. Well, I would also, or, or even um, giving someone no other option or feeling that they have no other option. Well, that's rape. Yes. Uh, consent, consent is defined as someone's voluntary agreement for something to happen. It was not voluntary. She felt she had no other options. So, um, so let's actually I find paint the it, picture of that. Like let okay. it, their story right. is that they were at a party. They had kind of so. First off, one of the things I think the book does well is talk about the the pitfalls and the the like maybe healthy things about hookup culture. Like I I didn't under, my my spouse had to, she's six years younger than me. She had to explain to me that um uh when she said hookup, talking about people in college. It just meant that they had smooched. <laughs> I didn't realize right. that there was such a spectrum of the term hookup. Oh, right. 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 So, yeah. So I, I and I find that um, that that word or the phrase is very problematic because men can say, well, I hooked up. Right. And that could that could mean sex. It's a notch in their belt, though. Right. So they get to say we hooked up. Yep. And you don't actually have to say what happened. And yeah. so the girl could say they hooked up and she's just saying, well, yeah, we made out. And then I went home or whatever. And she's saying now, now if someone says, well, I heard you hooked up with, with whoever. Um, and now she might feel like, I'm sorry, are people talking about me? Are you thinking that something happened that didn't the, yep. the word hookup men or, or women are allowed to say it. And it's, it's ambiguous on purpose so that people don't have to, really clarify so so people can use it um to make themselves look like there was more and and it becomes problematic because there is no definition for it well and and again we're using it to stand in for things like right. again it's it's a quote unquote norm there's a way in which it is a norm that is is invented by you know Generations that aren't necessarily well, they're becoming the mainstream. You know, millennials out, outnumber boomers at this point, right? Um, and so it it, but it's it stands in place of real communication and right. appropriate communication. Like, you know, it's 
it's probably important for me to process with my best friend a sexual experience that felt weird. Um, right. You know, maybe that's not maybe it's it's a good thing. We have to be able to have places to talk about this. Um, right. But to just use the term hook up and then not talk about what that fucking meant. Like we're not actually communicating. We're well we're and playing a, right. a game. Well, and the and the problem with that is you can ask a girl, do you want to hook up? Hey, do you want to yeah. come over and hook up? Yep. Well, she just said yes to that. Yeah. Well, she she might have meant whatever, and you might have meant this, and that's the problem with um, now you don't have consent yes. because consent is for a certain action to happen, and she okayed this, and you think she okayed this, and whether whoever thinks it's more than it is, because there are clearly males in this book who did not sign up for the yes. amount of sexual um, activity that then happened. Yes. And, and um, I find it very uh, important to point out that a lot of times males who do not want or who are not okay with a certain activity happening, if you get them there and they are aroused, now they think, oh, well, now I'm ready. And, and to them, they're thinking, well, I guess I do want to. Oh, and um, see, so this um, I, this is something that I have a real problem with, especially yeah. coming Same from more. me, because <laughs> I, I was I was raped when I was unconscious. And his defense was she seemed to like it. She seemed to like it. This moment in my shared experience with Lauren haunts me still. I recorded it six or seven weeks ago, and it still hits me like a bag of bricks in the gut. Because it articulates so many of my early sexual experiences, so many of my early relationship experiences, that somehow this expectation that I'm supposed to be clairvoyant about what my partner likes... Why couldn't we just talk about it? Why couldn't we have actual words around things? And the more I, I look at this and the more I exercise good communication and relationships, the more I find how satisfying it really is to have that communication. Because otherwise, I'm just left with, well, she seemed to like it. Well, he seemed to like it. I thought he was enjoying himself. There's no substitute for clear consent. And there's no pleasure like the pleasure that comes with that clear consent, with that mutual joy. A lack of actual communication destroys mutuality. And why are we having sex with another person if not for mutual, with for mutuality, for mutual joy, mutual experience, mutual something, sharing something with another human being, sharing that intimacy. Thanks again for tuning in today. We'll talk to you more next time.